Bob Howdy, and welcome to Ernest Goes to Podcast, the podcast dedicated exclusively to exploring every nook and cranny of that buttery conglomeration of confusion that is beloved American icon Ernest P. Worrell, as portrayed by trail mix blazing thespian Jim Varney. <laughs> did you see I did a food metaphor? I, I and then attention. I kept going. It didn't make sense. This is episode 22, Ernest Analogs, part two. I'm your host, Aaron, and this is my lovely co-host, David. Hello. We're back for more analog discussions. There was so much to say in a, a Dave Matthews sort of way, if we I can get right into the so 90s. We compared so many people to Ernest that we, did, we ran out of time. But there's more. I know. But wait. We didn't even get to the 90s. There's even more. If you are confused about what we're talking about, go back oh, to right. part one, episode 21. Yeah, this is part two of Ernest Analogs. If you haven't listened to part one, stop this. Go back and listen to part one. If this is your first episode ever, stop this. Go back and <laughs> listen to episode one because this is the longest discussion of Ernest P. Worrell that has ever taken place. On Earth. We can't speak for other planets. Yeah. I don't know what they do on Trafalgamore. <laughs> okay. So this is part two of Ernest Analogs, continuing our conversation from part one. No more preamble. We're just going to get you right back into what past Aaron and past David were talking about. Ernest Analogs of the 90s. It's good stuff. Is there going to be some kind of like transition? Like, doo -doo -doo? <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Speaking of time travel, the 1990s. Bye. <laughs> All right, our era. Yes. Again. I mean, this is the, the second to last era in our, our list, and this is the last era of Ernest. Ah, uh, yeah. I would say the last era of Ernest yet, but I don't know how you do an Ernest without a Jim Varney. So that's always the that's, that's always that's the, the hitch. Yep. Yeah. Honorable mentions for the nineteen nineties. One thing that came up recently, uh, we were rewatching Wallace and Gromit in my apartment. And I was like I'm familiar with him. I was like, oh, He's kind of a weird zany inventor. Oh, right, right. Who has that sort of sensibility. Wallace. Where like, yeah, 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 yeah. Wallace specifically, yep. I think I fixed it this time, Gromit. Right, oh, two full English breakfasts coming up. <laughs> Top of the morning. Yum, 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 yum. Scrambled eggs, eh, lad? You know, my instinct He's got is... the, the pants machine. <laughs> He's got the pants machine. <laughs> trousers. Uh, yes, the wrong trousers. trousers. The on. techno trousers. Right. So he has a machine that dresses him. Yeah. yeah. And uh, him and Gromit. You know, my instinct is to say like, oh, Gromit doesn't talk. They're kind of like more like Chuck and Bobby. But Wallace mm. really is an Ernest analog in my mind. Every film might as well be a different universe. There's True. not really continuity. No continuity. Um, and he misses a lot of things. He did. <laughs> <laughs> you could say that. <laughs> uh, sidebar, I feel like that's another thing that I keep saying you is the, the Daniel Butler. could say that. Uh, Dr. Otto <laughs> line. But yeah, um, I don't know if there's there's more to say about uh, Wallace. Wallace. He's a cartoon. He is. He's literally a cartoon. <laughs> I'm trying to think of, and I didn't take he's many notes He's a very wide mouth. <laughs> he does. You, I, I feel like Wallace does have control of which teeth you see at any given point in time. Well, he kinda, all the Aardman characters kind of yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Other 1990s honorable mentions, uh, Landon Musashi, another comment from one of our listeners, mm -hmm. um, brought up Chris Farley's character in Tommy Boy, Oh, I which seen. I've seen a while ago and I wish I remembered more about, but I'll just read the comment. In this same vein, Tommy Boy too, Chris Farley's character is big hearted, lovable, treated as dumb, doubted and made fun of, but he ends up saving a blue collar town's factory from going under. Okay. Another earnesty similarity, everyone treats them both like they are dumb, but mm. Tommy Boy comes up with a genius idea to save the day at the end, showing that he's a lot smarter than the movie characters want to give him credit for. Cool. Yep. What else we got? 1990s. Um, one that has been brought up a lot, okay. and this is at the end of the 90s, but Jar Jar Binks. 
Wait, really? Yeah. Oh, we oh we brought him up. We brought him up, yes. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Well, because we refer to Ernest Walk as a Jar Jar Binks Walk, even though, of course, Ernest predates Jar Jar, and Ernest Walk certainly predates Jar Jar's walk. Well, I, yeah, it's that, that it's, arm swinging. She's doing it. You can't see it. arm swinging shuffle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So another part of my research for this episode has been re-listening to our old episodes, and there's an old Same. episode of ours <laughs> where you talk about how you feel like the Jar Jar animators just watched yep. Ernest clips. He um, wears a vest. But I was, he does wear a, that's true. Oh my God, I didn't even think about that. He does wear a vest. That's wonderful. Um, but also I was listening to another podcast that I like, which is called uh, We Hate Movies. Another oh, I love We Hate Movies. Local uh, New, York, New podcast. York podcast. Shout out to We Hate Movies. They don't take Ernest as seriously as we do. They don't. But that's cool. However, in their Phantom Menace episode, when they talk about Jar Jar, no. they bring up Ernest. No. And I was like- all right, so there's something there. So that's there's legit. something there. Hey, we, we're not wrong. Where yes. are we wrong? Except <laughs> Sometimes. for when we are. <laughs> yes. Other 1990s, you know, again, with the sort of surfer accent, you have like characters like Ed from Good Burger. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. Uh, Cody from Step by Step. And Ed turns out to be smart at the end. Exactly right. There it was just go. characters who, again, have like an unusual accent that makes people, if they don't look at them, they'll think something about them without paying attention to what's under and the I'm surface. I'm going to bring up Charlotte from Jail in reference to Ed when I say a female character can think a male character is the sweetest guy ever and mm. not have a thing for them. Sure, sure. Just that's very saying. fair. That's very fair. <laughs> who else we got in the 90s? I've brought up uh, Bulk and Skull from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Oh yeah, so a actually lot. we have discussed Bulk and Skull a lot when we talk about Jim Varney before we started this podcast. Wait, sorry, we- let me try to remember a time. <laughs> Speaking of time traveling, okay, I'm there. When we were watching all of those Ernest ads and Greatest remarking hits, on, yeah. oh, Jim Varney's, I think a real actor. We were saying, <laughs> like, <laughs> could it be? You jumped to Bulk and Skulls, like, oh, the same kind of thing where, like, a really good trained actor has to be trained in order to do something that seems simple on the surface. Yes. That's where I think they are the most analogy. There's not too much I can say about Bulk and Skull, but I, what I will say partially is from this article from the Los Angeles Daily News in 1996. The article is titled, Power Play, Rangers Go Shakespearean. <laughs> of Course, <laughs> Shakespeare alert. <laughs> Shakespeare alert. Thank you, Valerie. By day, Paul Schreier plays a lovable buffoon named Bulk on the long running television series, The Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. You see, Skull, the beauty of the Sloppy Joe pizza is that you can make a huge funnel <laughs> and thereby jam more pizza down your throat. But when work is done, Schreier leaves the realm of colorfully attired kung fu fighting superheroes. In his free time, Schreier, 26, researches 400-year-old battles, edits Elizabethan texts, and pours over classical costume designs. He makes his living from the Power Rangers, but Schreier loves Shakespeare. Quote, If you chew bubblegum all day, you go home and drink cognac, he said. Now the actor has enlisted a few Power Rangers pals for a production of one of the most daunting of all Shakespeare plays, Hamlet. <laughs> the actor who plays Bulk's sidekick Skull yeah. has signed on for a role, as has Catherine Sutherland, who plays the Pink Power Ranger. What? The epic four-hour tragedy will what? be produced in Ventura County, California next summer at a cost of $30,000. Schreier is sole investor, director, and not too surprisingly, the star. Every actor wants to play Hamlet, he said. It's the quintessential dramatic role. Schreier said that with his background and build, he might have a hard time landing the sought-after part in another production. Do it yourself. 
Quote, I'm an overweight guy, and there's really a set image in people's minds of what Hamlet looks like, said Schreier, but my Hamlet is a little bit different. He goes from sloth to warrior king. <laughs> I, With... love, I love these sons. My Hamlet is a little bit different. <laughs> <laughs> With their classical training, all three Power Rangers actors are not as unlikely as they first might appear to play Shakespeare, said Narvi. Mm. Narvi being the actor who plays uh, Skull. Skull. We've been doing theater for many years, so it's actually more unlikely that we ended up doing Power Rangers than that we're now doing Shakespeare, he said. And for those of you who are not aware of Power Rangers, Bulk and Skull are the... They start as these abrasive bullies. Yep, They're basically yep. the comic the, the, the relief. Comic relief. <laughs> and they go on to become the most commonly recurring characters in the history of that entire show. Didn't they even, did they become softer? They definitely become softer. <laughs> so they start out as straight up bullies. Yep. Hey, teach us how to beat people up. Yeah! <laughs> it eventually turns out that the reason that they bully people is because they want to be seen as heroic. Yeah, they become like junior insecure. police officers. They team up with a mad scientist. They travel. <laughs> they uh, almost travel to space. And at the end of the the first like six season arc of Power Rangers, they basically lead what what boils down to a Spartacus like rebellion, where they're basically just like, "Oh yeah, I'm a Power Ranger. No, I'm a Power Ranger." To like sort of distract away from who the real Power Rangers are in the eyes of like the villains. It's wonderful. They have a wonderful arc. You know, that's great. That's character growth. Yeah. I'll say this, and maybe it's getting a little deep. Sure. There's uh, room for that on this show. But uh, I think insecurity is probably one of Ernest's mm. most defining traits in sense of his relationship to himself and his relationship to the world. Yeah. I think I saw a quote from John Cherry where he says that Ernest is a deeply insecure person. And that makes me think about what we always talk about, the reach of masculinity. It is exactly what it is. That reach of masculinity is exactly what it is. And what I will say to earn his credit is that a lot of times that the insecurity and, and even the oftentimes accompanying reach at masculinity mm -hmm. can come out in really ugly ways sure. in a lot of people. And I think that comes out in Bulk and Skull initially when they're bullies. And it seems like they grow past that. I think that's yep. great. Yep. There are some wonderful one-off episodes. There's an episode where I think we watched clips of this. The Power Rangers are fighting a villain who erases memories. So he erases <laughs> the memories of the Rangers and they don't know that they're heroes. Right, right, right. And then Bulk and Skull show up and basically save the day in Western attire like there's some sort of cowboys. Good for them. Um, there's a great episode where Skull is secretly a classically trained pianist. But he doesn't want to tell. He, he doesn't is. want Bulk to know because he thinks he'll make fun of them. And oh, then they have like on. this really nice like coming together at the end, where like Bulk shows up and is like, "That was the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. I was oh. totally wrong about this. It's wonderful. They are wonderful. <laughs> That's great. See, um, there's depth. Yeah, but to take it back to the reach of masculinity, mm -hmm. their first appearance is literally them showing up and like hitting on the two female Power Rangers, <laughs> who then I think they try to like. And the performative sense of yes. masculinity. Yes. Like it's, like it's, it's something you have to prove, which has never made sense there's a to lot, me. There's a lot that they feel like they have to prove yeah. in the beginning. And again, I could talk about that. I never them for walk a while. around like, is this womanly what I'm doing? Like, I've <laughs> never thought that ever. Sure. Not once. Sure, sure. Something to think about. Yeah. Um, the last honorable mention I'll bring up for the 1990s, uh, we talked about this guy a little bit Larry the Cable Guy. Hmm. Okay. Well,. I understand why people compare him to Ernest. Yes, yes. Like, I think it's a very surface read. Exactly right. <laughs> it is exactly that same thing again. 
I mean, I see the similarity in that he's a character that is closely associated with the actor. Sure. But in Larry the Cable Guy's case, it's intentional. Mm-hmm. He wants you right. to take that as his persona. He's made this persona specifically. It's kind of like Pee Wee in that way. Yeah. Like he, if this guy's in a movie, he's credited as Larry the Cable Guy. That's his right. brand. Mm-hmm. So that's intentional. It's not a case of a character curse. Yes. Correct. Correct. Larry, uh, you know. He's Southern. He's Southern. He wears and th- the same clothing that, all think, the time. I think what people say is, well, he's known for this. You can plop him in any movie and mm-hmm. he will be the same. Yeah. And in that sense, it's earnesty. But I think mainly the similarity that people draw on and why they compare the two is because they're both Southern. Yeah. But I think Larry actually is what people assume Ernest is. I thought that exact Larry thing. Larry is the stereotype, the redneck stereotype. That's exactly what he is. What you see on the surface is what you get. Yes. I will say that Larry's a proud stereotype in that it's not to tear down that kind of person, but to build them up. Like yeah. it's a, it's not meant to be derogatory. It's meant to be a point of pride. Like yeah, there's no shame. No, I don't get a sense of shame from him. No, it's more like embracing that. Yeah, he's similar to another analog that I think will come up later. Mm-hmm. In that Larry the Cable Guy knows his demographic, mm-hmm. speaks exactly to them, doesn't subvert their expectations in any way. He gives you like what you see is what you get. It's very WYSIWYG. Yep, and and it, it works. Yeah, but consequently, but he is—he's not like Ernest. Yeah, we we don't have much to say about him. No, like, well, he—he is the stereotype, and Ernest is not. Yes, I mean, people call Ernest a redneck, and I don't think he would argue with that. That's he is the great redneck. Community—that's the community he comes from. But his personality and his interests—they don't really go with the stereotype. You know, it's not that—that's not part of him. But I think he's that, and also a person. It's not not all he is. is, Yeah, yeah. No, I think. Right on. Yeah. <laughs> I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I wouldn't consider Larry an analog at all, but I, I understand why people do. Agreed 100%. He definitely has his own branding. Like, he's got, like, Larry the Cable Guy's foods, like, breads and stuff like that you can bake. Is that true? Yeah. Holy cow, yeah, I did not yeah, know that. Yeah, he's a whole brand, though. Dang. Smart dude. Well, <laughs> speaking of intelligence, main discussion, 1990s analogs. First person I'm going to bring up, and this, I will say, this character was almost an honorable mention until I took another look and I was like, oh no, there's a lot to talk about. Oh, I think I know. Okay. Who do you think I'm talking about? Bean. Mr. Bean? I wasn't, but- Okay, okay, okay. Honestly, now that you say it, both characters could be described in almost the same exact okay, way. Okay, so who is this? Because Bean to me is a main one. For the let's night. talk about Absolutely Bean. Absolutely Bean. Yep, yep. Okay, let's talk about Bean. Okay. So Mr. Bean, Rowan Atkinson, uh, he's got a TV show in the early to mid 90s. And a movie in 1997, also called Bean. <laughs> Bean is more brilliant than I remember. Yeah, yeah. I only saw that movie when I was a kid. Yeah. Like I told y'all the story of a, I saw it in an empty theater with my father and brother. It was so empty that at some point me and my brother started rolling down the aisles. <laughs> like, <laughs> because there was no one there and we just ran amok in the theater. That's cool. I was like 11 or something whenever that movie came out. But watching it now as an adult, I was like, oh, this is, I mean, it's what I remember. I remember all the stuff with Whistler's mother and like, oh, it's really good. Y'all have to watch it. So we watched this movie together recently. Yeah. I also saw this movie in a theater. I had zero memory of it. And we watched it and I was like, oh, 
this is like timeless. Yeah. We talked a little bit about something like The Pink Panther, where it's like those movies feel like they're rooted in a oh, time. Oh, that's a 60s movie. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Being, yeah. I was like, I almost had to do a research double take because I was like, wait, when did this movie come out? The only real like 90s-ness of it to me is like some of the cinematography and like the actors that and appear. And that nobody uses a smartphone. And that nobody like, uses a smartphone. Like, that's pretty yeah. much the tell. But like other than that, it's just like a movie. It's, I mean, it's a pretty- It's, it's a great. Pre- I'll say it's a pretty good story because the story is not the point. The point is Mr. Bean is funny. Yes. How Mr. Bean interacts with the world. I think to me, Mr. Bean- is the closest earnest analog that is a fictional character. Mm. In the sense that he's a character that is tied to the actor. He's a character that you believe is absolutely real. Mm -hmm. He's a physical actor. I mean, Mr. Bean is almost a silent character. He doesn't talk. He makes sounds. No, he's he's almost got like a Bobby sort of vibe where like he speaks very sparingly and when he does, it's like, oh, that's that's a little weird. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How? How do you do that? Oh, magic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he can talk, he just doesn't. And when he's asked to talk, it's very unsettling. Mm-hmm. Mr. Bean is a British character. For people who don't know, Mr. Bean is a British character played by Rowan Atkinson. He had a TV series where he did lots of like shorts and it's all very physical like sketches. Yep. And it's all like Mr. Bean has a weird way of interacting with the world. He has, again, lateral solutions to problems. Yes. And he's a trained actor. And, yes. and and it's a crazy physical performance. Like Mr. Bean's face, facial oh, expressions, his facial are, expressions crazy. are wonderful. Yeah. His physicality is ridiculous. And he's so funny. Yeah. And you can plop him. He's one of those characters where I think this is a big thing about an earnest type characters. Mm-hmm. You can plop that character into any genre and it kind of writes itself. You know them so well that you know how they'll react because they are so clearly defined. And also it's it's enjoyable to see them put like I'm almost surprised that there aren't more Mr. Bean movies because like I would want to see like, oh, what if Mr. Bean was in a horror movie? I what mean, if he was in a science fiction film? To have film? him interact with like a famous painting and spoiler alert, ruin it. <laughs> Um, is incredible. Uh, And that movie's also reminds me of being kind of subversive in the way that earnest movies are in the sense that it subverts expectation. And not just in things that happen, but in terms of like the score. Mm. Like how instead of just being like, I'll just play what's on screen, like the score becomes evocative. Like there's scenes in Mr. Bean that are scored like a horror movie or like a murder scene. Yep. And that's not what's happening. But it's but it like, it's the emotion the of it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And it's really good. And I think everybody should watch it. It's another high recommend. I did watch a behind the scenes thing of Rowan Atkinson talking about his character. Mm-hmm. And he says about Mr. Bean, I just stood in front of the mirror and started to mess about with my face, basically. <laughs> and I work at it. And that's like kind of like the first Mr. Bean sketch ever is him um, like shaving, shaving yeah. in the mirror. And that's how the Bean movie starts. That's it's like really a nice wink to the origin of the character. Well, it's interesting in that the Bean movie in a lot of ways is kind of a greatest hits. Like, it is. Yeah. If you... The head and the chicken. Yeah, exactly and the right. Yeah. But there's a video which we should probably put in notes somewhere. Yeah. That is all these people talking about Mr. Bean and someone says about him. You've got a character who is quite intelligent and subversive, but you've also got a character who looks odd and behaves in an odd way and has odd solutions to problems. Yeah. So like Mr. Bean will take the zigzaggy solution just like Ernest. And, and, you know, you mentioned him ruining that painting. He does solve it in (laughs) a lateral way. And it's so satisfying. It really is. And it's also, there is like an odd amount of stakes in that movie where like, 
I was genuinely invested. I felt really uncomfortable when bad things happened. Like I was like, oh god. I, I wonder if it's that kind of like maternal or not maternal, but like that sort of like feeling parental towards like these characters who have an innocence and have like it wasn't. And you know, it's not as fear for Mister Bean's safety. It's the empathy and the horror of the situation yes, that he's in. It actually kind of reminds me more it's of social horror of like the the pen scene in jail. Yes, where it's that's like great. Oh, oh god, no! I don't want that to happen well, to me. Chris, who we had on Ernest goes to jail. Yes. He described it as like a social, social anxiety. anxiety. Nightmare, <laughs> and that is a lot of what Mr. Bean again insecurity. Mr. Bean is so afraid of not seeming like like a he's got gen- it all gentleman. Yeah, like he get, he gets his pants wet, and this it, he doesn't want to see people <laughs> yep. to see that his pants are wet to the point that he makes insane like yes he does all these things to try to avoid people seeing him like slightly disheveled and makes it so much worse right because he's very insecure yeah in a strange way that you wouldn't think. Because you think he doesn't seem to realize that he looks ridiculous all the time. <laughs> right. No, he's very particular about like, oh, no, this How, makes me look weird. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think something that really resonates with Ernest or something that is really similar to how Jim Barney talks about Ernest is mm-hmm. something Rowan Atkinson said. He said, Whenever we try to think of Mr. Bean and how he will react or would react in, in certain situations that we're thinking of putting him in, I, I always imagined him as a nine-year-old boy. That's how I always see him. They're sort of anarchists at heart, really. And I think that's what Mr. Bean is. He's an anarchist. Sorry. The idea of a child being inherently an anarchist is really interesting to me in that that's why they don't do the obvious thing. Because they don't have to play by the world's rules. Correct. But also, that is how Jim Varney has described Ernest as a child. And that that's how he sees him. Both actors see their characters as children. From Justin's book, page 156. Jim had previously spoken of Ernest's <laughs> characteristics as being like that of an eight-year-old. There you go! It was true in many ways. Ernest's and Vern's relationship resembled the one between comic strip character Dennis the Menace hey. and neighbor Mr. Wilson. Dennis, who was written to be around eight, was always wandering over to his neighbor's house uninvited. His intrusions, although well-meaning, were often invasive and occasionally destructive. Ernest had the same childlike energy and curiosity, and while not as cute as Dennis, he hey, endeared himself- disagree. <laughs> he endeared himself to an audience in the same way. Actually, I did have Dennis the Menace on my list of analogs because of that exact anecdote. But yeah, Mr. Bean, absolutely. And you know, something that sticks out to me is I think when people say, oh, my character's kind of like a kid, I mm-hmm. think a lot of people might jump to the idea of that meaning the character is less intelligent. Sure. But they're not talking about it in the sense of intelligence. They're talking about it in the sense of like innocence or lack of interest in the way things ought to be. Right. And propriety structure. and mm-hmm. structure. Like they're just disregarding all that stuff that a child would disregard. Or even experience to a degree. Yeah. One thing that I really like about the Mr. Bean movie, or I guess it's just called Bean, right? Yeah. One of the things in Bean that I really appreciate and made me think of Ernest oh, is the way that Peter McNichol is constantly referring to him as Dr. Bean. <laughs> and it's it feels like the joke in the movie is that this English museum sends Mr. Bean to America to work at an art museum because basically they want to get rid of him. Yeah. And so Peter McNichol's character- He's not a professor. Yeah, he's not a professor, not an actual professor. <laughs> he's just professor. like a, a security guard or something. He just, I don't, I'm not really even sure what he his job is. There. He just sits there. <laughs> but so Peter McNichol thinks he is a, a professor, doctor. Yeah. So he keeps calling him Dr. Bean. And I'm in my brain, I'm like- that's kind of like when characters call Ernest Mr. Worrell. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like trying to treat him with respect. And like, oh, his name couldn't possibly be Mr. Bean. Like, that's no, ridiculous. That's stupid, but Dr. Yeah, Bean. Exactly. It has gravitas. And yes, he feels very official. And I have to say this. I think this is very important mm-hmm. about because it adds more to our understanding of Ernest. Yes. There's a scene in Bean 
where Mr. Bean has to like improvise a speech. Yes. That is something like an art professor would say. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Bean knows nothing about art. And he kind of off the top of his head, he likes, he- He wings it. He wings it totally and he nails it. Yes. It's not just a painting. It's a picture of a mad old cow who he thought the world of. And that's marvelous. Well, that's what I think. And people applaud. Yes, a stand a standing ovation. He gets a standing O. And it's heartwarming. And you're like, yeah, Mr. Bean. And you asked me, has there ever been a scene like that with Ernest? Okay, that sounds like me. Where he says like something or he totally wings it or he says like nothing and people think it's amazing. Yeah. Well, see, it's funny because I feel like that's the art world in general where there's just so much <laughs> pretension and like nonsense. That, but like... also it's it's valid because no, yeah. you can interpret art any way. Absolutely. Sorry, but, but what I want to say is there's no way that that could possibly happen to Ernest. Okay. And I'll take it back to sociolinguistics. Mm. There is no way that could happen to Ernest because why it works for Mr. Bean is his accent. Interesting. He's talking okay. to an American audience. And he's got a And he's got accent. a refined, a received pronunciation British accent. Mm-hmm. Automatically, anything Mr. Bean says to an American audience is going to, it's going to be connotative <laughs> of intelligence. You're right. That could never happen to Ernest because Ernest is going to go up there and go, well, you know, and everyone's going to be like, idiot. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's really funny. But it's funny how much Mr. Bean's accent does so much heavy lifting for him there. And it's something that can't happen with Ernest. You're right. Yeah. And it's interesting to see how like accents, you know, have an impact on how the character comes across. Sure. And they are both intelligent. But I think in that scene, Mr. Bean's accent is in his favor. And in Ernest, it wouldn't be. Gotcha. Yep. That makes total sense to me. I thought it was interesting. Also, I just have to point this out. Speaking of Peter McNichol, Josh Mindtree brought up a theory that he had about the crossover between Bean, Ernest Saves Christmas, and Ghostbusters 2. Oh. But we can save that for the extra. Okay, okay. Anything else we want to say about Mr. Bean? Oh, I will say there's a Mr. Bean cartoon. Yes. That is the last thing we should say about him, yes. And it's funny because there's things of like, how could Ernest continue? And I always think maybe like a cartoon is the only thing you could think because he is a cartoon. Yes. And in Mr. Bean's case, he became a literal cartoon. And because it's such a physical performance, I would automatically think that it wouldn't work because it's he doesn't say anything. Mm-hmm. It's like 99% physical. And that cartoon works great. That cartoon is... It perfectly wonderfully animated. Yeah. They do an amazing job and it, they pull off something that I would think could not be pulled off. Yeah. I think everything you're saying is accurate. I think the difference between Bean and Ernest in that regard is so much of Ernest is the vocal performance. Absolutely. And that's one reason where I'm like, oh, I really mm-hmm. want an Ernest cartoon, but who who, who could do it? Yep. Um, but you're right on otherwise. Yeah. Yep, and everyone should watch Bean and the Bean cartoons. Yeah, I'm sure we can link some of those too. Yeah, they're they're great. The people who made that cartoon absolutely understand what makes Mr. They Bean studied, work. They studied, which is important. paid attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they had respect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't just like, oh, this is Mr. Bean. They we were can... like, no, we have to nail this. Yep. This is important. Yep. Respect, much cool. respect. <laughs> well, the last person, the other person that we could uh, describe in the same way that I started to earlier. Okay, yeah, I was wondering. For 1990s, I didn't expect to enjoy this as much as I did, because I haven't seen this since I was a child. Family Matters. Bruh! (laughs) 
Family Matters Steven, is amazing. It really is, and I I forgot. I forgot. forgot. I haven't watched it in Yo, probably since it aired. Family Matters was my favorite show as a child. This makes very sense it, to me because there was a robot. <laughs> I watched it religiously. Like this I did was too. appointment TV for me. I had to be in front of the TV to watch Urkel. Yep. And I didn't call it Family Matters. I called it Urkel. Uh, yes, as I think many of us Let's did. <laughs> go to this analog. So we've already... I remember basically everything about Steve Urkel and Family Matters, so I will have no problem conversing about it with you. So go <laughs> That's ahead. what I'm counting on. Yeah. No, so we already brought him up in Dr. Otto because of the changing coffin. And right. Without without getting too far ahead right out of the outset, basically Steve Urkel has a transformation chamber he that is sure does. the exact same thing. But yeah, Steve Urkel. Uh, okay, well, first keep in mind that this was a family show about like a middle class family. It was um, a spinoff from Perfect Strangers. Perfect Strangers spinoff, Harriet Winslow and her three kids and, you know, later two kids and her husband and her sister and her sister's baby. It was just a totally normal family, yes. you know, nothing out of the ordinary. And <laughs> Not then, a science fiction program. And then Steve Urkel is introduced in the first season. Episode 12. And fast forward a few years, they have used a time machine to travel to the past and they're all fighting pirates on a pirate ship. That is true. This show is insane. Yes. This is the craziest show you can watch from the 90s. Yeah, and you're you're right. It's it's weird because it starts out totally normal. Yep. Harriet Winslow is from Perfect Strangers. She ran the elevator in the building with Balky and Mar- yeah. Mark Lynn Baker, whose character name escapes me. And uh, much respect to this lady for watching and taking it in stride as this character came in and took over her show. Without getting too far into this, as I rewatched these episodes, I was like, Oh, Harriet Winslow is amazing. Yep. And also kind of hot. Just going to say that. <laughs> I and love it, her. I love her. Um, so Steve Urkel is an annoying Carl. Ma- that's yeah. my impression of her. That's- Carl! <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not Harriet! Bad. Yeah. She put her hands on her hips as she said that, listeners. The, all those characters are great. Carl was, yeah. you know, Carl Winslow is another character that as I get older, I appreciate him more and more. I found him kind of intimidating when I was a kid because his bark was very loud. And as an adult, I realized his bark is worse than his bite and he pretty much has no bite. I have things to say about Carl with relation to Steve, and we can get into okay. that as we get into He's this. He's the Vern. <laughs> he is the Vern. So <laughs> but yeah, let's talk about Steve. Steve Urkel is an annoying neighbor. He's he constantly shows up uninvited. Iconic. And again, formative for me. And again, not intended to be a recurring character. All. He's named after one of the show creator's friends. Yeah, like somebody you know, somebody he was like, you just knew. That he was, was like, a funny oh, name. I'll name him Steve Urkel because this is a one-off. It'll never be a Cut thing. Two. This will never be an issue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, Steve Urkel is is socially awkward. He's an yep. he's an annoying neighbor. So the first episode he's in is Laura's first date. Yeah. Laura Winslow. What's your name, Sugar? Oh, Steve. <laughs> They basically, his role in the show is, in that episode, how can we write the most terrible date person you could ever go yeah, on a date with? Yeah, something a girl with. would never, like exactly. the worst date a father is, could arrange for his daughter. Because he's interested, like, Carl arranges this date for Laura not knowing who Steve is or what Steve acts or looks like. Yes. <laughs> nice flowers. Yeah, thanks. On the way over, I stopped by the cemetery. And it turns out he's rumored to have eaten a mouse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And just like all, and uh, maybe that's not true. That poor kid. Yeah, he's I mean, a school nerd. I, I did say rumor, allegedly. Yeah, it's the kind of thing you would say, and it, it might, could be true, but I, I don't know. I, I think they were maybe <laughs> conflating the fact that he liked cheese with the fact yeah. that he ate an animal. And he probably uses mice in experiments. Or oh, something. certainly. Yeah, 
He's a he's a genius. He's a literal genius. He's a literal yes. One one thing that I didn't remember about Steve Urkel, and I picked it up on the rewatch. Similar to Ernest, he has random family members who do everything. He, he references. <laughs> That's right. He talks about like oh taxes, and he references Hiram Ross Urkel, CPA. He has a German <laughs> uncle uh, named Urkel name, who works at NASA. The name goes on anything. Yes, Worrell, yes. Urkel. Yep. Like you get it as soon as you hear it, you get you know, it. You just saying that Urkel does also kind of sound a little bit like marbles in the mouth. It's Urkel. Yeah. Urkel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's an awkward thing to say. It's a um, funny sounding name. So he starts out as just like, and he plays members of his family. He does play members of his family. <laughs> he starts out as a typical nerd. The first member of his family that he plays is his cousin Myra. I'm sorry, not no Myra. Myrtle. Myrtle. I wrote Myrtle that wrong thing. His cousin that Myrtle rolls off the tongue. Yes, who is Myrtle a, a for all intents and purposes. Yes, a Southern Belle. I can't talk right now. It's the actor Say in a dress. Yes. Fiddly day. No boy can resist Myrtle Urkel, the Belle of Biloxi. Well, I'm going to take that boy like Grant took Richmond. And by the way, this is a kid. Yeah, he's like 13 or something. He started right? out 13 and he, oh, I mean, there's the character curse right there. Yes. And actually. Big time. This kid grew up as Urkel. Oh. Yeah. I, there's I, where my maternal instinct kicks in. <laughs> Poor I think boy. he was actually like dissuaded from like working out or doing. Oh, yes. Doing anything that yes. would change his appearance. Yes. That's um, right. I think he had like shave like constantly like later yeah, in the that, show. Yeah, well, I mean, he had to keep his appearance looking like Steve Urkel. He yes. couldn't work out. He had to stay skinny. Yes. You know, and that, that's hard for a guy going through puberty. Absolutely. And turning yeah. into an adult. Geez. Because this is basically auditioning when he's 12 to being like now a, stay a, 12 a 21 forever. year old man. Yeah. <laughs> um, interestingly, you sent me this Family Matters reunion video mm-hmm. and you said to me, I'm particularly interested in what is said at this specific time code. Yeah. And then I got to the time code and just yelled out to no one, oh, what the hell, loudly. (laughs) because That's um, the reaction I was hoping for. Yes, because Jaleel White, the actor who plays Steve Urkel, talks about how he auditioned and basically says, quote, I was just... 12-year-old blackhead doing an Ed Grimley impersonation. Oh, and forget the meat, Pat Sajak. Like, I suppose you could do better than that. No way. I was just a 12-year-old kid doing an Ed Grimley impression, <laughs> I must yeah. say. Uh, but he, just says, he says, because I was African-American, no yeah. one caught that. Yeah, it, it seemed original. Yeah. yeah. And it was. <laughs> yeah, and it became iconic. Yeah. It surpassed the impression, became its own thing. And then Steve Urkel, I mean, the things that Steve Urkel goes on to do. He creates a transformation chamber so that the actor can play other characters, so that he can walk in as Steve Urkel and come out as another character. Now, remind me, when he becomes Stefan Urkel- That's which, his Aster Clement. Which is his Aster Clement, but it's also the Nutty Professor. We didn't talk about oh, Eddie Murphy, right? which had just occurred to me. Well, because he plays of members of his playing family. Playing members of his old family. Um, when he becomes Stefan Urkel, is that the transformation chamber, or is it more just like a Jekyll and Hyde potion? Because I don't remember. That was first Boss Sauce, which was a potion. Boss Sauce, and then that's I think, wonderful. I think and the 90s. transformation chamber Did was you, like, the- pour it into the transformation chamber Yeah, I think the transformation chamber was the improvement mm, okay. upon the uh, the Boss Sauce. Boss Sauce. <laughs> because they, you know, in the first episode with um, Stefan Urkel, mm-hmm. which is like the cool version of Steve, he drinks a potion, but he says he found his cool gene. Yeah. There is no Steve here. I'm Stefan, sweet thing. <laughs> Stefan or Kale. And then it turns out that Stefan is like uh, conceited. Yeah. And they don't like that. So yep. then. Imagine that. 
later on, they're like, we have to bring Stefan back. So the transformation chamber was supposed to be the improvement where Stefan wasn't a jerk anymore. I, I think I'm going on memory here. But basically, I'm pretty sure the transformation chamber is an improvement upon just drinking the potion. Yes. And he uses that to become Elvis. He uses it to become Bruce Lee. Sorry. He turns Carl into a nerd at some point. So we, a couple of <laughs> it things It gets there. crazy. First, we need to talk about Elvis because once again- nah. Elvis as masculinity. <laughs> that... Well, Bruce Lee, I mean. Well, sure, but I mean, Ernest never turned into Bruce Lee is what I'm saying. No. Or had any references to Bruce Lee. Yeah, but Lee. Elvis, yes. Yes. Even, um, have we brought up Urkelbot yet? Okay, so Urkelbot <laughs> predates the transformation chain. It predates Stefan Urkel. Correct. Urkelbot scared me as a child. Correct. But he's a robot's Urkel, and he's like kind of evil. Yes, he is. I was created by the handsome, intelligent, sexy Stephen Q. Urkel. I mean, he's a robot. You know that happens. I'm pretty sure it went bad at the end, right? It does. It, uh, so even can you imagine? Yeah, believe it or not, uh, it turns AI evil, becomes and a then problem. and then later they bring it back as Urkel Cop. You're under arrest. You have the right to remain silent. You have the right to have an attorney present. Shut up! What are you? Yes. Where, where they turn the cop into a robot cop, and he's like, no, I fixed it, which is what he always says. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but Urkelbot, even Urkelbot does an Elvis thing, uh, which is bizarre in the, first, in the first episode. Hashtag and then, sidebar, I just have to say, whoever played Urkelbot is phenomenal. Oh. It's like a wonderful mime performance. It, it's either a mime or like a break No, it's dancer. a dancer, and yeah. I, I can't remember really, who really it good. was. Um, but I'm going to look up who played Urkelbot right away because it's an amazing, like, robot performance. Yeah. Michael Chambers. Oh, Michael Chambers is Boogaloo Shrimp. Yep, yep, yep. That's what I was trying to think of. Yeah. From uh, Breaking 2. Yep. Well, he was in Breaking, but he was also in Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo. And he's that amazing. makes a lot of sense. It's a great it really, robot performance. It really reminded me of, like, sells RoboCop. It. Yeah. Sells it. Yeah. Um, but so the other thing That's I wanted to say- why he scared me. I thought I was a real robot. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing I want to say about Urkelbot is that episode, you're right, it does go- Terribly. Yep. But the way that episode ends is with Steve Urkel monologuing as Laura walks away. <laughs> and I was like, well, this is something. But Laura Urkelbot was a machine with feelings. He fell hopelessly in love with you. So let's be honest. The only thing he was really guilty of was having good taste. That's sweet, Steve. Well, I'm a sweet kind of guy, Laura. He does a lot of speeches. He does. Say. Steve does a lot of speeches. He does them to character. He does a lot of sympathy speeches where people feel sorry for him. Like he expresses his feelings very, very uh, openly mm -hmm. when he's sad. He's a character that gets a lot of aws, just like Ernest does when he's yep. sad. It's a very sympathetic character yep. because he is, he's earnest in that he's earnestly in love with Laura Winslow. Sure. You know, up to the point of obsession, but we'll I'll, I'll allow it. Uh, he's, <laughs> it does uh, get weird. Yeah. We'll build a clamored house on the banks of the Susquehanna River, and we'll have 3.2 children and 1.7 cars, and a kitty and a dog. Ooh, and you'll make me lunch every day, and I'll barbecue every night. And on cold nights, we put on our bunny slippers and listen to accordion albums. Oh, gosh, I gotta write this stuff down. Uh, but you know he's—it's a sincere character. Yeah, I wouldn't—I wouldn't call him and, like malicious. And he often does that earnesty, like the bravado, yes. like putting forth this confidence that isn't really real. Mm -hmm. And I want to say, Stefan Urkel. I'm going to go back to that Superman moment. Yes, because Jaleel White 
every time he goes from Steve Urkel to Stefan Urkel or vice versa, which mm-hmm. happens a lot, like the thing will run out yeah, and wear off and Stefan will turn back into Urkel. Like the brain acceleration. It's so brilliantly acted. Yeah. It's a physical transformation. He starts as Steve and he drinks the thing and he turns into Stefan and there's a, there's a, the first time he does it, he makes this sound like a like again, <laughs> like kind of like Jim Varney, yeah, yeah. and he's he makes all these crazy sounds, and he falls down. He gets up, and he's got this Steve Urkel look on his face, and then you see it, it like melts away. Mm, it that's melts off of his face, and he's not Steve anymore. And you see it, and like the audience kind of like, mm, what just happened? Like, <laughs> like, and it's again that Superman Clark Kent yeah. moment. And then going backwards, there's an episode where Stefan decides that he's got to go back to being Steve in front of Laura. You know, they're at a restaurant or something. He's like, I have to go back to being Steve. And either he drinks something or he lets it wear off. And it's Stefan going back to Steve. Mm. Now that's great because Stefan still makes the same little, like he can't help it. Yeah, It's involuntary, but he looks irritated and embarrassed when it happens. He like does the thing and he's like, like he rolls his (laughs) eyes because Stefan is super cool. And this is, and this is look, not cool. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, ugh. That's and he, cool. It's great. Yeah. No, I you mean, know? in rewatching these episodes, I was struck with like, I don't think Jaleel White gets enough credit no. for the acting job that he does. In that behind the scenes reunion video, he would just talk about how like he wanted to just like nail every performance, mm-hmm. like starting with Myrtle Urkel. He just wanted to just like I mean, give he it commits. his all. Exactly right. Exactly yep. right. He is And that's committed. why you buy it. Yep. Yep. It's a really great performance and it, because it's comedy you're like, "Eh." And because it's closely associated with his character, but he did some amazing things. He did. Well, I think certainly we've talked about like the phenomenon that was Steve Urkel. I think part of that overlooking probably had a lot to do with hyperversion. Yeah. Where people were just like, "All right, let me let me not pay attention to this." May, yeah, but also because it's so exaggerated. Yeah. And kind of yeah, yeah. you know, you don't take things seriously when they're exaggerated cuz yep. like real things are like gritty, man. Oh, Lord. Did you know that? No, let's not know? get into this because I'm going to start. I'm going to start. <laughs> okay. Going on a I would just like to. This is all I'll say about that. Bulk and Skull were not in the recent Power Rangers reboot. Nah, man. Because that's real, y'all. Know what I'm saying? I hate everything. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. More to say about Steve. Catchphrases. Where Ernest has know what I mean. Steve has many. He does. I was going to say, there are some great super cuts of. Family Matters catchphrases. (laughs) Family Matters, um, if we're talking about that repetition comfort where a Mm. joke comes back, Mm -hmm. Family Matters is the king. Yeah. They do it the best and more than anyone. Did they do that? (laughs) So Steve's main one is, (laughs) did I do that? Which apparently previously used by Curly in the 1934 Three Stooges short Punch Drunks. You know what is interesting about that is that Jaleel White says this in the reunion. It's the si- if we can hear the sirens, that's cool. But he- New York noises. <laughs> Jaleel White says in the reunion, he's like, sometimes the catchphrase is not about the words, it's about the delivery. Yep. And that's exactly, again, that's the same as know what I mean, because yep. know what I mean is something everyone says, but when Ernest says know what I mean, it yep. becomes a catchphrase. Mm-hmm. It's all in the delivery. But Family Matters did that. They did, um, you know, Got Any Cheese was another one of his. No Sweat My Pet. No Sweat My Pet. Did we talk, did they, we talk about the doll? The king. He's got a doll. But you know, one of my favorites of Steve's, It's again, it's not necessarily a catchphrase, but the repetition of a joke. Mm-hmm. It's when he is using the transformation chamber and he's pouring. And what does he say whenever he pours? I should know this and I don't. Somebody says something and he goes, shh, not while I'm pouring. That's right. 
always. And there is a super I cut thought about that on years. YouTube of it, and it starts to extend to other things. Like he'll be stirring something, and somebody will say something. He goes, "Shh, not while I'm stirring." <laughs> So they keep bringing that joke back. At one point, Carl does it. Like, he's pouring, and somebody says something, and Carl says, shh, not while he's pouring. That's really funny. And they, they're so good at that. Let's talk about Carl for a second, actually, because I did want to come back to him a little bit. Oh, sure, sure. I think Carl Winslow, in watching, again, in watching some of these episodes 20 years later or whatever, Carl he's Winslow- He's so good. He is so good. Oh, he definitely, I almost feel like Carl and Steve are- analogs of each other in certain ways because kind of yin and yang carl sure. i mean carl is certainly the Vern to steve's earnest yeah i came over to lend a helping hand but you were rude and patient and not a nice host <laughs> you ruined our satellite dish and you almost killed me and my son and you think that justifies coarse behavior <laughs> but carl also has like that reach at masculinity where he's like, yeah. he is like, you know, he's like- a, The master a, a, of the king master of the, ha- of the house, king of he's the a castle. cop, you know? Yep. But then there's also like episodes where like, he's just like taking care of the kids or buying groceries and like the police chief will come by to like check on him or oh, like yeah. check in and like, like Lieutenant make Murtaugh. fun of him. <laughs> yes, Lieutenant Murtaugh, the name of every cop in everything. <laughs> so there's definitely like- Token white guy. There's definitely like a sense of insecurity with Carl as well. Oh and, yeah, and I, oh, no, no, it's definitely insecurity. I, I haven't watched enough recently to know whether this manifests in an explicit way, but I feel- like I get the sense that in some ways Carl might see some of himself in Steve. Oh wow, I hadn't thought of that. I will and, say and especially... Carl is a deeply emotional character. Yes, who doesn't want people to know that. Yes, oh, and, that, and part of that is masculinity too. Yeah, it's oh, toxic. That totally is. Yeah. It's not masculinity. It's this idea that that's what masculinity is. It's not actually masculinity. Yeah, we don't want to get too far into this because sure, this sure. is a whole other podcast. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But this this idea that you know to be masculine, you you have to suppress emotion, that you can't be showing your you know your feelings, or you know that that's somehow feminine. Yeah, it's just human. Sorry, but, you know my brain completely checked out and went to a place where it was thinking of Tobias Funke from Rest Development <laughs> oh, no. doing a John Wayne impression, no, saying, no, 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 "I'm not no, going to no. cry." Let's move on. Uh, <laughs> anything else about Steve Urkel? Yes. What oh, I'm else? sorry, I have too much. No, no worries. Um. I want to bring up another character that you can kind of combine with Steve maybe and get in earnest. Waldo. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to fill this out right now. Good idea. Let's see. Name? Got one. Address? Got one of those two. Sex? Soon. I... I thought this would be Waldo where you were going. Waldo Geraldo Faldo. Which is also, that can't possibly be his real name, but it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Again, names. Yeah. So Waldo was kind of like the, the dumb quote, unquote, well, he, the dumb he, character. And like some other people on this list, he starts out as like the sidekick to a bully. And then becomes, and the, best becomes the best friend of a main character yeah. so that we can bring him in more because he's so great. Waldo is... One of the more hilarious characters. Yeah. And again, this is one of those things where a character is interpreted as dumb, but he's kind of just a lateral thinker. Like his brain just works different. I, I, you know? I think in my mind, the the best example of that is in an episode where Steve, it might be, that actually might be the first episode with Myra, which is a love interest for Steve, but uh-huh. it's where they're at some sort of concert venue or something. And everybody's internal monologue is played as narration. Oh, okay. And Waldo <laughs> keeps thinking things like, if Ivana Trump married Neil Diamond, <laughs> she'd be Ivana Diamond. 
and then it just keeps like like escalating yeah. over the course of the episode. If she divorced him and married Jack Nicholas, she'd be Ivana Diamond, Diamond Nicholas. Nicholas. And it's just That's really I can't on. I can't see that as dumb. It's just no, wonderful it's just, and hilarious. Just and thinks different. Out to the side. Yep. He zigzags. His brain just zigzags. Yep. Yep. I mean, I think they, they were good to the character in that they gave him an art. He they made him like a master chef. He develops. Yeah. And so that's good that they were like, Yeah, no, Waldo's super valuable. And I think the the thing that sticks out to me is when Waldo for some reason he goes on a date with Laura and he he's talking about seeing the movie Jifk and Laura's <laughs> like, What? And then she's like, Oh, JFK <laughs> And he says, I know how it's spelled. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah, But he's... Waldo also had, going back to repetition, Waldo also had a ton of catchphrases, no prob, Bob. Or yep. just, he would just say, sup. Yeah. And that would be his thing. Or coo. Again, it's the, cool, yeah. sup. But again, no prob, Bob, it would come up. No prob, Bob. No prob, Bob. No prob, Bob. No prob, Bob. And they were so good with repetition because there was one time where Waldo walks up and he goes, slight prob, Bob. <laughs> that's a pleasure <laughs> right they're really good at that they're really good at repeating a joke and then twisting it all right so what i'm what i'm learning is that i need to continue my oh, rewatch yeah. of family matters again uh for those listening it's on hulu all of it is on hulu i love family matters yeah um, i recommend maybe not the last season but hey yeah, yeah it's, it's... it gets crazy it does oh we didn't talk about um steve the uh, oh, ventriloquist dummy Did that looks like crazy. Steve Urkel, <laughs> who's basically Woody. That's a season eight thing, I think, right? And then they make a Carl one, which oh, is gosh. called Carlsbad. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yep. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Yeah, man, that's, that's all I got oh, about- Oh, I gotta say, there's yes. one thing they do, which is interesting, which is that they make Steve and Stefan different characters- by cloning clone Steve, Steve, that's right. And I then remember turning that. one of the clothes permanently into Stefan, and then they coexist, which is as, very bizarre, which is crazy. This is a but this is a thing that happens. A normal suburban family from Chicago, uh, uh, but it's a good way to let the actor stretch and show that he can do more. Absolutely. And yet, that seems to not work when you do that in the universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know when you that's interesting when you do it in universe, people do, it doesn't seem to stick with people. You have they to like go outside it. the universe and play something different. There's almost and tell me if you agree Just with like this, Varney. I feel like there's an element of taking it for granted. Yeah, as an audience, totally. it's like like of course you can do that, but but again, I think you're right on also in terms of like it being comedy, so it's almost like discarded, like yeah. oh it's comedy, like of course, like blah blah blah, and it's like no, it's actually like a pretty great performance. I almost think they take it for granted because it is a great performance, and they don't question it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, I got nothing else to say. There's overlap between the Urkel dance and the Pee Wee dance. I'll say that they both have <laughs> their own dances in addition to both having uh... their own dolls. Um, I had Urkel color forms. As a child. Steve Urkel's a, not a stereotype. I'll say that. Just like Ernest, not a stereotype. In the sense that he's an African-American character and sure. broke ground sure, with sure. that character in terms of how the media portrayal. Um, tell me if this is what you're trying to say. He's not just a stereotype. No, I'm saying like there weren't a lot of black nerds on TV. That's true. That's and, true. And yeah. he defies black stereotypes. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I got you. You know, and I'll say it. Yeah. And I mean, all the characters do. You know, defy stereotypes. I'm saying Steve most blatantly, like he does everything. Ob like he he loves polka music. Yeah. He's just he's a nerd, and like it wasn't a portrayal that you saw. Yeah, that show is wonderful. Yeah, Steve Urkel. In terms of the iconic status. Yeah. And you know the kind of sincerity of the character and the character curse. He's probably the one in the nineties. Yeah. yeah, kind of the nineties. Yeah, yeah. Bean is like to me the closest analog, but well, it's they're it's... they're different parts of Ernest. Again, like Ernest, there's different things about Ernest yeah. that. Well, are as, really present in some characters. 
as not I said, all the parts. As I said to someone on our Facebook page, no one is exactly like nope. Ernest. Nope. So, it, but it is it's cool, and I'm enjoying this discussion just in the sense that like we're looking at these analogs, and especially when it gets into like Ernest's time. Like that's when like these sort of like facets of his being kind of break out into these other characters. Mm-hmm. Um, this is all <laughs> this is all wonderful. Cool. Okay. Well, the last stop on our time traveling journey. No problem. Is the present day? Let's say the 21st century. So we're talking like the so year 2000. Yes, the year 2000 um, and beyond. Yes, we'll talk about essentially the Warl legacy. Like how has Ernest? How has Ernest's era left his mark in other characters right. in, in modern times? Honorable mentions. I don't know how honorable this is, but one thing I have to bring up is there was a TV series. We brought it up once before hmm? based on the Geico Caveman. Oh. And I think this is worth discussing only in the sense that yeah, this, this yeah. is a show based on commercial characters. Yeah. And actually, I have a quote here. In 2010, TV Guide Network listed the show, which is just called Cavemen, <laughs> came out in 2010. At number 22 on their list of 25 biggest TV blunders, arguing that, quote, basing a TV show on a commercial was a bad idea from the beginning. That is very interesting to me. Now, I watched the first episode uh, of Cavemen. It could be a bad idea if you're basing it on a commercial. Right. And not on a character. character. You you got it. Exactly. <laughs> you jumped exactly where I wanted to say. <laughs> I watched the first episode of the show, and I mean, I'm not the type of person who likes to judge a show on one episode, but as far as a pilot goes, the show, is there's nothing there. It's like a concept with no follow through. You know, it sets itself up as having something to say like, oh, cavemen living in modern society. It's like a, uh, an analog for like. No, that's one gag that gets old real fast. Exactly right. Come it's, on. I it, can tell you this. I ain't no genius. It's, <laughs> I'm no earnest, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it sets itself up as having something to say and then says nothing at all. And that's all I really have to you say know, about cavemen. Uh, when Pixar first came out, Pixar had this motto like story, story, story. Mm hmm. And that's true, but I think I was watching a featurette on some Disney movie, and someone in the Disney movie said, you know, a lot of us times we say a movie is story, 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 but I actually think it's character, character, character. Mm. And I kind of disagreed with that when I heard it, but now I'm thinking that it's more and more true. Yeah. Because a great story structure with no characters that you care about is going to fail. Yes. And a character that you really care about in a mass story can work. See, this is interesting because I feel a similar way often, but it's more about, I'm a filmmaker. I think we know this at this point. Mm. It's more about production value in my mind. Like, I love a lot of movies that have like zero budget, but tell something interesting or clever or have memorable characters as opposed to something that's like super well produced and has nothing going on. I think that's kind of similar where it's just like, you need that human connection. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, you always need that, yeah. I think. And I think good characters will drive you to a good story because oh, yeah. of the choices they'll make. That'll be what the story is. And I think it's worth pointing out also that a good story is not necessarily a complex story. Like, it no, doesn't need to be no. a Keep million things. Yeah, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the, the uh, motto of the artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kiss. But yeah, the, I mean, Geico Caveman is worth bringing up because I think... I've heard, I've seen people compare Ernest to that and say like, well, like they made movies about Ernest. It's like when they made the sitcom about the Geico Caveman. I'll say it's not like that at all because Ernest is basing it on a character and the Geico Caveman thing is basing it on a premise. Interestingly, also, again, going back to Justin's book, page 156 of The Importance of Being Earnest. 
<laughs> Ernest Goes to Camp not only allowed Jim to display his slapstick abilities on the big screen, he proved that the character could carry an entire movie. Earlier, he wasn't so sure it could be done. Mm. He had actually told the Atlanta Journal-Constitution in October 1985 that he would never portray Ernest in a movie. <laughs> Quote, could you watch two hours of Gomer Pyle? <laughs> you know what? Uh, no. Uh, um, yeah. Because of the way Gomer is, but Ernest is a unique case. I just think that's funny in that Gomer Pyle, again, is yep. someone we literally just <laughs> talked about. Well, I think mean, I'm sure he saw the similarities there. Yeah. And, you know, maybe you could. Maybe you could. I know I'm not going to say no, but it would take, you know, a really great performance. And, a, yeah. and a, you know, Jim Varney was, I think, better than he realized, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I don't know if we've ever talked about this specifically, but I often say when talking about, like, wacky film concepts, I think you could literally do anything. Anything. No, like, I it's agree. It's just, like, how how are you doing it? It's like, just what's execution going on? and yeah, characters absolutely. and, like, it's like, just I've, all about getting the audience to believe it. I've never been the type of person to be like, oh, that sounds like an idea that would never work. Like, mm. I think any idea could work. Yeah. It's just, like, how are you doing it? Like, are you treating it with respect? Are you, like, putting in effort? Playing like, things straight can sell a lot, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 21st century. What else we got? Unless you have more to say about Geico Caveman. No, no, I don't. Uh, what else is on the list? Uh, honorable mentions. There's not too many I have. Two other things I wanted to say. One, I posted this to the Facebook page. Uh, interview with Keegan-Michael Key, where he talks about how he was oh, a- Key of Key and Peele. Key of Key and Peele, yes. yes. He talks about how he was a Shakespearean-trained actor, and that was always the plan, and his career took a 19-year detour into sketch comedy. Well, I mean, comedy and tragedy is a fine line. Yeah, so there's that. There's also, I don't know, have you ever seen the movie Tucker and Dale versus Evil? I have not. It's a horror movie from 2010. Basically, it's about a subversion of the crazy killer hillbilly trope. Again, that sounds character driven just it, because there are character names in the title. It kind of is. Okay. Basically, the plot is that the- Bill and Ted. The Yeah. <laughs> there you the, go. The hillbillies, the quote unquote hillbillies are the lead characters in the horror movie. And it's the weird college kids who end up being sort of the nefarious invading force. But one character, the titular Dale, Dale Dobson of Tucker and Dale, there's one scene where he's talking to uh, one of the college student characters and they're playing a board game and he keeps getting all of the answers right. It's like a trivia game or okay. something. And she's basically just like, God, you're right again. You're killing me. And he says to her, I know. I'm sorry about that. I just got this weird brain where I'm dumb as a stump, but I remember everything I ever heard. Aww. And then she says to him, that sounds pretty smart to me. Oh, that's great. And he replies, no, trust me, I'm stupid. <laughs> I barely even made it past the third grade. That's sad, actually. It's really sad. Like, he's smart, but he doesn't know his sad smart. Again. Yeah. Okay, I see the earnest, yeah. Uh, like, I wouldn't call this an amazing movie, but I like it a lot and I recommend it. Okay. It's subversive for sure. Okay. And that's the end of my honorable mentions. Oh, so we got to get to the big ones. We got to get into the big ones. First of all, I need to ask, did you watch Be Kind Rewind? I sure did. What did you, you think of that to, movie? Friend. Yes. <laughs> um, so Be Kind Rewind, 2008 movie starring Mustaf. I thought this would be an honorable mentions, though. Who's like Ernest? I found Jack Black to be very earnesty. He's He's uh, super abrasive. Yeah. But he basically works menial jobs and wants to ascend. Uh, becomes a magnet via cartoon electricity. He does become a magnet. He solves problems. Which is when I was like, no, come on. What is wrong with you? You're magnetized. Yes, you did text me saying, oh, He survived well, yes. an electrocution. Yeah. He solves problems in a lateral cartoony way. He's kind of uh, a weird intrusive neighbor. 
Like solving the problem of erasing videotapes by, by making, making the movies yeah. again. That's kind of an earnesty well, thing. Well, and I guess their filmmaking is brilliant in how they, yeah. And I understand. Yes. The climax of that movie involves fake history and yarn spinning. Like it's basically a celebration of low okay. budget filmmaking. I feel like he's not, I see the similarities, but I guess he doesn't resonate as an earnest. Agreed. I didn't think that And Jack- I don't get the feeling, that's what I'm trying to say. You don't get the feeling of earnest, but like the things are there technically. Let me, let me say it this way. I didn't think that Jack Black was an earnest analog per se. I almost saw the movie as an analog for an earnest movie. I feel like if you mashed up Jack Black's character with Mostef's character, then you get closer to earnest. What does this say right here in my notes? <laughs> Jack Black and Mostef, kind of both parts of an earnest. Yep. Right here. Okay. Yep. Yeah, um, if you want, most of us, he's like the sincere. I don't remember his character's name, but he's like the sincere. You know, yeah. just trying to do the right thing, mm-hmm. be just a nice guy. You yeah. know, in the sense that Jack Black is kind of a jerk, and yes. most of is the nice guy. I can but see watching it. the movie, I was like, I would have loved to see this as an earnest film because it's it's really charming. I felt in some ways, I like, teared up at yeah. that big shot. I mean, also Michelle Gondry, that's an amazing filmmaker. I didn't yeah. even realize. Yeah, yeah. But I teared up at like the shot where like you kind of pull back and she's operating like a crane like and they've like basically have a cutout of a building and they yes. filled all the rooms with extras and they're shooting it like like as if it was a cross section sort of of a building. And the the music and I was like I was tearing up because it's this <laughs> community experience thing, you know, and that movie has a lot of heart. I'll Absolutely. Say. It's really, it's small scale with like huge, enormous stakes. In the same way that it felt like it could be an earnest film, it also kind of felt like the way that the brain trust films kind of were executed. Like there's like a genuine loving- Like craft. Like yeah. It's like low budget, but not small but not cheap. Craft. Like it's like yeah. clever in what it does and all that stuff. Again, within the world of this movie, but yeah. It was just like, it's like how they they make films is kind of how they make earnest movies. This community <laughs> came together and made this. They didn't have like a ton of money, but they cared a lot about what they were doing, and they made yeah. up a bunch of fake history. And uh, yeah, I mean, Doctor Otto is kind of like their their yep. be kind remind yep. their sweeted movie. Yes. You know? <laughs> and that that made me think of Ernest too. Actually, that you mentioned the sweeting because it's like, oh, let's just pick like a foreign country and like, oh yeah, these movies are from oh, yeah. Sweden. It might as well be Botswana. Yeah, Bulgaria. Yeah, either one, either one. The uh, uh, yeah, yeah, the rare yeah. Malaysian okay. Haniwani. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that movie is film. is a pleasure. Hey, what happened to Most Def? Where'd he go? He's good. I don't know. I like him in uh, what's Hitchhiker's. Uh, that's the one. Yep. Yeah, that movie He's is good. is also He's good. Really good. Yep. All right, who else we got in twenty first century? This doesn't technically start in the twenty first century, but I th- I kind of categorized it there just because of what episodes I've seen. Are we talking about Doctor Who? Can we for a second? Let's go. Doctor Who, we've said this many times. I've said this and then Elisa said it. Yes, in our uh, Saves Christmas episode, our guest Elisa. Because we're big Whovians. Yes, all the the Who's down in Whoville. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you forwarded me a episode to watch with, uh, it was from one of the Peter Capaldi seasons, right? Yes, my other favorite actor. It was an episode called uh, Listen, is that correct? Yes. Yep, and... Do you want to describe? No, you, please, because you're new to it and I'm I'm too in it. So this episode starts with uh, the doctor, played by Peter Capaldi, Mm -hmm. monologuing to no one Mm -hmm. about he's he's ruminating on the idea of monologuing to no one. Yeah. Question. Why do we talk out loud when we know we're alone? Conjecture. Because we know we're not. And talking about like this notion of when you talk to yourself, why do you do it? 
And who are you actually? Are you actually talking to anyone? Is there anyone out there? What if there was a creature out there who is mm-hmm. evolutionarily designed to listen but not respond? And it's like this. It's like perfected hiding and yes. it's always behind you and yes. out, of the, out of sight. Yeah. And then again with time travel, it just this episode just goes off into this like really clever. I don't even know how to describe this story arc because it's so it's almost like a literal interpretation of like lateral thinking, but as <laughs> executed as time travel. Is it, am I making any sense? I don't, what are you referring to? Just I the way that the story spoilers. The yeah, way probably. that the story plays out in terms of how Clara and what is the guy's name? Danny. Danny, <laughs> yeah. And the way that they kind of like swing back and forth through different eras in his life and mm-hmm. how she comes back to this date that they're on ostensibly and it turns out they influenced him yeah in in the past in the future it turns out that way way back they influenced the doctor himself which is crazy yep um yeah this was an episode so you and elisa are whovians and Mm -hmm. you've you've both successfully gotten me to watch doctor who before but this was one where i was like all right i might need to actually sit down and watch (laughs) this show i mean it's got kind of like the earnest universe it has instances of Pure stupid, like, this is so dumb. Like, I can't believe I'm watching this. (laughs) And then just, like, sheer brilliance. I mean, that's life, though, man. Yeah. Yeah. We've said this about, me and Lisa have said this to each other about Doctor Who. Like, I've just said about Ernest a few times, which is that Doctor Who is more than the sum of its parts. Mm. It has a greatness beyond its episodes and storylines, and there's something about it that it lives, it breathes on its own. But I wanted to show you that episode also because... A lot of times, Doctor Who's companions can become Verns when he intrudes on their lives. That's very accurate. <laughs> he does show up and is just sort of like, yeah, let's go. Yep. In that episode, <laughs> he, he comes, he's in her bedroom when Clara, Clara comes home from a terrible date and he's in her bedroom. Doctor. Why'd you have three mirrors? Why don't you just turn your head? What are you doing in here? You said you had a date. I thought I'd better hide in the bedroom in case you brought him home. And then kind of kind of indirectly insults her yes. a few times by saying, like, you've already taken your makeup off, like just come with me. She's like, I'm still wearing my makeup. So he's like, he does that a lot with Clara. He doesn't do that with every Clara, thing, Clara, wake it with... up. It's Christmas morning. Yeah, Merry Christmas, that's Clara. Kind of Clara. exactly what it is. <laughs> come on, come with me. I need you for a thing. She's like, No, come on. He's like, Come on, come on, come on, come on. By and the that... way, I like your little hat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that that relationship is a lot like that, especially in that season. But they are best friends. Oh, my heart was warmed again. Yeah, they're best friends. And that doctor, especially the Peter Capaldi doctor, is super attached to Clara. And, you know, it becomes sort of unhealthy, but that's an arc for that era of Doctor Who. No, I definitely, having now seen a couple of episodes with Peter Capaldi, I definitely understand what it is about him that you're drawn to. Yeah. And it is interesting because there is overlap with Ernest beyond just the hair. There's monologuing, there's physicality, like very specific physicality, not the same. Just specific. Yeah, specific and intentional. Yes. It's very- It's calculated. It's, it's, yes. it's, it's deliberate, mm-hmm. I want to say. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, there's again, like Doctor Who always has these moments where he's just kind of an idiot. <laughs> yep. Isn't it bad if I meet myself? It is potentially catastrophic. So, why did you bring me out here? I was still talking. I needed someone to nod. Probably best for you to wait in the TARDIS. He misses a lot of obvious things. Like, he is idiotic in the sense that he'll miss the obvious, and then who has to point it out? His companion. That's yeah. kind of what they're there for. I mean, one of his season finales literally ends with him declaring that he's an idiot. You know what I am? I am an idiot. That's funny. (laughs) And I think she calls him an idiot in that episode. She says, you're an idiot. And he says, I know. Yeah. He is. 
And he's also a genius. Yeah. And that's kind of Ernest. But I, I think that's why we keep comparing him to Ernest, but also because he's a lateral thinker. I mean, Doctor Who, he's literally an alien, and that explains a lot of his oddities, <laughs> whereas Ernest is just a very strange human man. Yes. <laughs> but it's weird because in Ernest, you can put Ernest in different premises and different genres, mm-hmm. and he's that character in different genres. Doctor Who, that kind of is built into the show itself because the Doctor travels through time and space. Sure. So he can be in different genres. Like you've got the Western Doctor Who who goes to the Wild West. You've got future Doctor Who who goes to the future. He goes to, you know, Regency England a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, and he can be in anything, not because you have different movies, but because he has a time and space machine. Right. And that, it enables him to be that kind of, the same kind of it's, character. You know, it's almost analogous to like, oh, we want Jim to do all of his zany characters but we need a way to explain it in Doctor Who there is basically a, a built in way to explain it which yeah. is funny and I mean we've compared him to Doctor Who in superficial ways because like the 10th Doctor has like 3D glasses mm. that he wears for no reason and Ernest for no reason has 3D glasses in his glove compartment That's and Ernest true. saves Christmas um, they both drive Santa sleigh I was just gonna say yeah Um, you know especially in Ernest saves Christmas Ernest has a companion like Doctor Who yeah. has a companion which is Harmony when I see his frostiness I'm going to ask Ask him how he got in my house when I was a kid because we didn't even have a chimney. I suppose you have a theory on this. What's all this? Dreams. Accounts of dreams by different people all through history. You see, I have a theory. I bet you have. What theory? And then they both pretend to be official, like, government people investigating something, yep. which is something that Doctor Who and his companions do a lot. Y'all brought up psychic paper? Yes, yeah, so Doctor Is Who, that the thing? He shows, like, a badge like to an, someone in It's like in a that blank episode. ID. Yes. It's yes. a blank ID, and it's psychic paper so that he doesn't have to come up with an alias. Mm-hmm. The person who sees the badge comes up with an alias in their own head. That's really That's funny. something that would be appropriate. Yeah. But basically, yeah, when Ernest as Aster and Harmony as a little girl, they come in and they pull this Doctor Who ruse where like, they totally sell that they're like official people investigating. You have to let us do whatever you want. Doctor yeah. Who does that. All the time. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, there's a lot there. And he, and you know, there's a lot to compare to Doc Brown. Mm, time traveling uh, doctors, older men, yeah. Yep. Compan- young with, companions. With young companions, yep. yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I definitely need to watch more of that show. If there was ever an American Doctor Who, I'd be like, Jim Barney. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's yeah. fantasy life, fantasy. Well, what got... else in the, uh, the alts and on? So this is one. I don't even know how to get into this, but I think... Is it something that gets compared to Ernest a lot, even though we might necessarily compare it to Ernest? It is exactly that. (laughs) Okay, go ahead, man. It's okay. Who who do you think this is? Color. Uh, Uh... (laughs) So, yes, so you are correct. Mabel Medea Simmons from the series of films and originally plays, I I believe. Yeah, well, it's a Tyler Tyler Perry. Perry. Tyler Perry film character, the icon. I mean, I'll go on. I'll say iconic. Yeah, she's definitely. There. She's definitely in the pop culture totally asso- subconscious. Associated with Tyler Perry, but Tyler Perry is not. His main thing is not being an actor; it's being a playwright or being yes. a, a screenwriter in mm-hmm. this case. You know, and uh, it's cool. But again, this is a character that, much like Larry the Cable Guy, people compare this character to Ernest, and so we kind of have to talk about it. I would even, I would go and compare Medea to Ernest. Sure, I, I would because I see it because. I mean, she's been in a movie called Medea Goes to Jail. I think the, she's been the in movie a Medea Christmas. Are, are what make the boo comparison. a Medea Halloween? Yeah, the scared stupid. I mean, you can't deny. Don't forget boo too. You cannot deny. Yeah. that there, this is a thing. 
So uh, if anyone genre jumps, I mean, I'll give it to Medea for being the one that is genre jumping. And I don't think anyone but Ernest has done it. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's definitely I wrote down in my notes. She's definitely similar in some ways and very different in others. And maybe we can uh, kind of yeah. like <laughs> go through those. Uh, so let's start with similar, right? Cartoony yeah. for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, similar film title formats we just discussed. Very theatrical. Very Again, theatrical, coming from the play very world. defined character. Yep. You drop her anywhere, she'll react predictably. Starts out as supporting and ends up main-ish? Definitely. In yeah. Boo Medea Halloween, she's main. Okay, I okay. Which, unfortunately, you were sad that I didn't get to watch that I one. Was, but she is a character that in a lot of the Medea movies, she's a supporting character. Yes. She's not the main character that the movie is about. She's there to... to kind of comment a lot. Instead yeah. of Ernest kind of plays a role in the story, Medea is more there to comment sure, or, or, or to solve the Or to be things. like a catalyst in some ways. In some ways she's a catalyst. In some ways like she's an observer and then she kind of says what you need. Okay, okay, enough of this. Mm-hmm. Like in a Medea Christmas, she kind of watches this drama play out and then at the end she's like, all right, here's what you need to do. I'm not, like, I'm not taking this anymore. Yeah. You tell, you say this, you do that, you do that. And you know, she sorts it out. Yeah. She's kind of a no-nonsense mother character. Yes. Makes sense. Yeah. She's based on, I think, Tyler Perry's uh, mother and aunt kind of combined. And again, this is an instance of the same actor, Tyler Perry, playing multiple family yes, members. Yes, he plays- He's playing Medea. He's playing- uh, Kind of it? a uh, version of himself, like a straight character. Yeah. I forgot his name. I think it's Brian, like so, a character something called Something like Brian. that, yeah. And Medea is his aunt. Yes. You know, so he kind of- the, uh, Uncle like, Eddie, is that Medea's husband? Medea's brother. Sorry, brother, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah he plays Medea's brother, he plays Medea, and then he plays the kind of- Character that is most like himself, which is like this lawyer. I think he's a lawyer. It's just him. Brian. Yes, basically kind of. Yeah, Tyler Perry. Yep. He's like the Brian Griffin of- uh... And I will say, he's a little bit stilted when he's playing that character that's most like himself. Yeah. But when he is Medea, he comes alive. (laughs) When he is this old lady- I really want there to be a play called Medea Comes Alive. (laughs) But it reminds me of something that Chris said in Ernest Goes to Jail. He's like, you know, Ernest is not so great at the tough characters, but when he is this old lady- He's great in his portrayal of her. And yep. this is the same thing with Medea. Like, I believe Medea. I believe her. Sure. She might be a stereotype. I know a lot of people have problems with it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for better or worse, Tyler Perry knows his audience and he delivers. And that's, again, similar to Larry the Cable Guy. Larry the Cable Guy, we should also say, who's in... He's in a Medea movie! Medea Christmas, yes. And it makes perfect sense this is like a high five situation like yeah we're the same yeah. that's funny yeah you know i mean larry the cable guy fits yeah there's there's a the lot Medea of movie. like unusual celebrity cameos i mean dr phil yeah. is <laughs> yes i think just because they're friends oh is that true I is that what so. it is i, I didn't, just I didn't know that much about the behind the scenes of it and dr phil can't help medea yeah She's that's a true Stonewall. <laughs> well let's let's go into some of the ways that um medea is different than Ernest. While she is kind of like motherly, she's also sort of like insincere and vindictive in certain ways. I think they mine a lot of comedy from her being kind of insensitive. Yeah. And mean and crazy in I'll, some ways. I'll say that she definitely belongs in jail. She's been arrested multiple times. Yes. For totally valid reasons. She does not go to jail under no fault <laughs> no, of her own. No. She she does stuff. Let's see. Medea's goes to jail is not Medea's first stint in jail. No, no. <laughs> so She definitely uses guns, unlike uh, Army <laughs> Ernest. She can be violent. Yes. She's got a short fuse, for sure. Yes, yeah, yeah. But, you know, but it's also, you're rooting for her. She's, a lot of times, you know, she's portrayed as wrong in her methods. Mm-hmm. But then ultimately, she's portrayed as right in her take on the world. And, you know, it's, yeah. she's one of those characters that she gives good advice, but she makes terrible decisions for herself. Yes, yes, 100%. You know, say what you will about those movies. 
Tyler Perry has figured it out in the sense that he makes his movies for really low budget. He makes them for like no money. They don't look cheap. And he, I'll say that. They no. look like plays. So like the filmmaker me is like, uh, you could have done something. But like they don't look like, oh, you just, uh, you didn't even try. Like they look like movies. But he makes them for like relatively small budgets and yep. they have big returns. And that's similar to Ernest in that it's low budget. You don't have to spend a lot of money to get an audience. Yeah. And Absolutely. that's very true for him. My my cousin's kids love Boo and Medea Halloween. They watch that constantly. How old are these kids? Like nine. Interesting. <laughs> that's interesting to me. Uh, one thing I noticed in terms of like comparing Medea films to Ernest films, there is continuity with the Medea universe, which I find uh, fascinating. Because like uh, Meet a the- A little bit, the, yeah. The beginning of Medea Goes to Jail is like from Meet the Browns, which is not technically- There's also this weird thing of like some movies are like quote unquote Medea movies and some just kind of like have A movie her. with Medea in it. Yes. Yeah. Like yeah. there are movies that are not called Medea anything and, right. and she's in it. Well, the first well, movie- Well, the first one she was in. Diary of a Mad Black Woman. Yeah. I'm which sure. she's in, but it doesn't have Medea in the title. Yeah. And then I think it's because again, oh, Medea's a breakout character. Like yep. let's center her. Yep, yep. But first we'll use her as a supporting character. Medea goes to Dale, so he's definitely a supporting character. That movie is not about Medea. Correct. And it was same also... thing in Medea Saves Christmas. I'm not Medea Saves Christmas. I'm Medea Christmas. <laughs> Sorry. I was, but I was also who on Medea like... Halloween? Medea is pretty much the lead. She's got the most screen time in the sense that she has the most screen time. The movie is still, there's a moral to that story too. And I'll say, in terms of being like Ernest movies, there's a story and a moral yep. to Tyler Perry movies. Bam, bam, bam. You know, there's always a moral. Yep. I will say, Goes to Jail made me laugh uh, <laughs> just because I was like, it was 45 minutes in and she still hadn't gone to yeah, jail. And I was right. like, all right, what, what what's happening? Yeah. But it, it eventually paid off. It was not like Home Alone 4, subtitle, the movie where no one is ever at Home Alone. Oh, gee. But yeah, Medea. I feel like I should have more to say about her, but no, like we, we kind of said it. Yeah. Cool. So I have one more analog from the 21st century mm. that I'd like to discuss. I do too. Who's yours? Let's do you first. Okay. Just because I'm curious. It's a real person. Oh, interesting. I mean, I think it started in the 90s possibly, but extended into this century. Okay. I'm curious about, so it's a real person you're saying it started, and I'm curious about what that I means. I mean, the, it like the phenomenon. Got like, it. Okay. And it was a phenomenon. Yep. I, I, listeners, I am right with you right now because I, this is not on my outline. No I one knows? No idea real who this person is. person talks to a camera. You're, yeah, I don't, I don't know. All right. Drum roll. Steve Irwin. Oh, interesting. <laughs> G'day, I'm Steve Irwin, and these are highly venomous sea crates. Steve right, Irwin. Take me through it. Super enthusiastic personality. Talks to the camera. Cartoon wardrobe. You know, knows more than is assumed. Cartoon yeah. wardrobe always wears the same thing. And it became an icon, yeah. became a phenomenon. And just, I think it's just mainly the personality. No one matches Ernest's enthusiasm. You're right. Yeah. The wow. way that Steve Irwin does. That's, I would never have put that together, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> and I mean, I will tell everybody to go and watch some Crocodile Hunter. Go and watch Steve Irwin interact with animals. Oh, Steve Irwin is great. The way Steve Irwin yeah. interacts with animals is the way Ernest interacts with the Haniwani. <laughs> You're right. Yep. Well, here it is, Vern. The great orange Malaysian Haniwani. Isn't she a beaut? I wish I could speak Haniwani so I could tell her how pretty I think she is. 
because he's like, aren't you beautiful? And like, yeah. I, she, I wish I could speak honey when I need so I could tell her how pretty I think she is. <laughs> and like Steve Irwin will be like, he'll be like, I just want to give her a kiss. Right? Mwah! Like, yeah. he talks, he's like, look at this beauty. I'm in love. He says that about animals. Once upon a time, I used to be in love with Beaver. But now, I'm in love with this anteater. Mate, I'm in love. I am, in, I am just totally in love. <laughs> She's beautiful. And he's so enthusiastic with what he's telling you. He's like, look at this. Look at this. And it's like the way that Ernest is about products. You're right. Steve Irwin is he's about selling, animals. He's selling animals. He's selling wow. wildlife. I love this. Yeah. I mean, in terms of like optimism and like that enthusiasm and yeah. that energy. And sincerity, ha- certainly. And sincerity. Yeah. He's got it. He's totally sincere. And, you know, and then when I see Steve Irwin on talk shows, there's this thing where this is a guy who's an expert on wildlife. He's been doing this his whole life and people treat him like he's stupid. Interesting. They go on, he goes on talk shows and people, I mean, like they don't insult him, but the way they treat him is is kind of like, like he's an idiot. Like this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. This guy is really smart. That's so, yeah. And he knows a lot. And because of his personality and the way he talks, they treat this guy like he doesn't know what he's talking about. Or like he's a weirdo for yeah. like being so into animals. Yeah, I get, I get what you're saying. I, man, I wish I had, part of me wishes I had known about this before so I could have like put some thought into it, but also I'm enjoying the yeah. the, the uh, surprise nature of this, so that's wonderful. But I love that somebody that matches Ernest's enthusiasm and personality so closely is somebody that's a real person, or that was a real person. You're again, right. Gone yeah, too again, soon. gone too soon. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's that right. light, man. Well, you know, too bright for this world. I've always responded well to people who are enthusiastic about what they do to the extent that it becomes infectious. They're passionate. Yes. Yeah. Like Steve Irwin, absolutely like that. Um, I don't even know if I can call this an earnest analog, and it's not from the 1990s or 2000s, but Bob Ross makes me feel that way. Again, again, talking to the camera, where he's just like, "Yeah, I'm into painting. Let's let's have some fun." Like the idea of real people who like invite you into their world. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jim Henson, we talked about him and he's yeah. kind of like that where like it was less about him putting the Muppets out into reality, quote unquote, and more just about like, hey, let's all kind of like have some fun together and maybe learn a thing or two. Um, man, Steve Irwin, that's a really good one. There's also that thing where when Steve Irwin is serious, like you take it super seriously because he's always so like- Okay, Vern, this is important. Like, like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like if you watch some of like the Crocodile Diaries or something, there's like, <laughs> I've been watching a lot so that I could get my brain prepared yeah. to talk about him. I need you to send me these. And he like, at some point they bring these, um, I don't, I think they're like wallabies or something. Mm. Or like, but they bring these animals to his zoo like too soon before their enclosure is properly finished. And he's worried that they're going to get hurt on like this unfinished work, sure. right? And he gets like really irritated. It's one of those things where he's quiet about it. And it's almost like- he's like fuming. He's not, fu- he's just like, he's deadly. It's like grave. Mm, There's a grave mm. tone to his like, we can't do this. What do we never do? We like, never put the animal at risk. Yeah. And it it's like that when Ernest has that serious face in sure. Slam Dunk Ernest, like it feels like that, like, oh, like, you know, when when he gets super serious, you take it even more seriously because he's usually I like contrast stupid, to that. kind of, yeah. But like, go back and watch him. He's super enthusiastic to the camera. He's super knowledgeable about the product. Yeah. He's, he's passionate he's selling about it. it. He's selling it. Yeah. And people treat him like he's dumb. And he's really not. Let me ask you this. Is any of that the accent? 
Yeah, I think so. That's so bizarre. Because and like, also the way the enthusiasm, like because it's childlike. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they associate, oh, a, a childlike quality with low intelligence. And yes. Children aren't dumb. I don't know why you would do that. But it's it's the thing that keeps happening. And I, I think right. they're responding not, I think it is partly the accent, but I think it's a lot the childlike quality of his enthusiasm. Huh. So they treat him like a child, sort of. He's not a child. He's a man that knows what he's talking about. Yep. And it's pretty interesting. Like, Steve Irwin's not dumb. He, he knows he knows you think he's weird, and he doesn't really care. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'm really lucky. All I've got to do is be me. I don't have to act. I don't have to bung anything on. I just got to be me, and, 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 just, and people love it, you know? Like, they're really being educated about wildlife, and, and yet they're scratching their head going, is that guy crazy? Hey, it seems to work. Wow, that's great. But he's totally sincere. He's yeah. totally sincere. I love that there's an analog of Ernest that matches his enthusiasm that was a real person. Yes. Ernest is real. That... Ernest can be real. <laughs> I think you're spot on. And honestly, um, sort of a, a dismissive nature towards childlike energy is mm-hmm. the perfect lead into my last analog okay. on my list, who is unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Hey, Red, you're making me wish I was those jeans. Well, I wish I was your yellow hat. <laughs> what? It's my favorite color. Whoa, we got a female analog. Yeah. Now we're 11. <laughs> so, so I. Wow. So I love this show. I would have never thought of that. Uh, because you don't put her in different. Not, sure. She doesn't exist outside doesn't of exist. her show. Yes. You're talking about the character herself, the personality. Correct. Yes. Um, she's a great character. She's a great character. So this is a Netflix series uh, created by Tina Fey. It's one of my favorites. Agreed. So Kimmy Schmidt is consistently underestimated or mistaken for dumb. Mm-hmm. She has a middle school education. She's mm-hmm. uneducated, but she's not stupid. Yes. And we always talk about Ernest and what caused Ernest to be the way that he is. And Something happened. Yes. And literally the beginning of this television series is something happened. Something big happened to Kimmy Schmidt. Yes. And what happened A is that- A lot of this series is about trauma. Yes. And I really appreciate it. Yeah. We should probably say what happened. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's not a spoiler. This is right this up, is, straight away. It's in the opening credits of the television <laughs> yep. program. Yeah. Uh, We've been living here 10 years. Nobody's seen no girl. Nobody's heard no girl. No girl. He had them underground. They come up the hole, look around. Like a bunch of talks of twenty fields. And I said, Nathan, this is for reals. Kimmy Schmidt was like oh, man, you're locked, right. locked in a bunker for what was it like? She was kidnapped 10 or 15 years? when she was 14. Yes. By like a crazy cult leader yes. and locked underground. Correct. Until she's like 30. And was told that the world ended. The world ended yep. because her and her fellow uh, mole women. Mole women. This <laughs> the name given. There's four women trapped in a bunker. My, yeah. Was told that the world ended because those four women were so stupid. Yeah. Uh, and literally, because the first dumb. thing that happens in the show is them singing. They're, they're celebrating Christmas and they're singing a skewed, apocalypse. Apocalypse. We, we caused, caused it with our dumbness. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I need to look further <laughs> at this. I started to rewatch. Oh, I started a rewatch recently, I can't not intending I didn't this. Think of this. But yeah, Kimmy Schmidt treats everyone the same. Has That's right. She does. Endless optimism. You want cereal? Most important meal of the day. Let's hear it for breakfast. 
totally that. That's why it's called the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Also, she's not literally unbreakable, but she is unbreakable. You can't break it's her. It's mentally unbreakable. Yes. Like her optimism, it, yep. it pushes through the horrible things that are thrown at her. Yep. The whole world was destroyed and everything died, right? Except for all you dum-dums here, yes. Then how come when I was cleaning out the air filter earlier, I found this! <laughs> if all the animals are dead, where'd this rat come from? Damn you, Kimmy Schmidt! I will break you! No, you won't. She's constantly trying to raise her station. She gets That's out of a right. bunker and is like, oh... I need to do all the I things I always wanted job. to do. I gotta educate Get an apartment, myself. Go back to school. Yep, yep. <laughs> and she has weird solutions, like lateral solutions to problems. Yep, yep. <laughs> oh, you're right. Um, what else do I have here? She constantly uses malapropisms. Yes. Like uh, <laughs> the most obvious one, probably being hash brown, no filter, <laughs> which is wonderful. And again, it's not because she's stupid. It's because she she's she's been out of yeah. touch with the civilized world, for lack of a yeah. better phrase, for over a decade. What else happens? Um, she's constantly making weird faces. Uh, she's constantly talking to no one. <laughs> she uh, talks to herself. She she has that earnest, like, got it. Like, yeah. I know what I'll do. Exactly you know? right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Also, in talking about where Ernest comes from, his parentage, Kimmy Schmidt's mama was a Rolling Stone. That's right. Played by Lisa Kudrow in season two. Um, Papa too. We don't even know where he is. That's true. She does have the stepdad who is, uh, he's something. Oh, right. He's just kind of I there. Forgot and, about him. Yeah. The stepdad she's never met before she gets out. It's Correct. A post post kidnapping stepdad. But yeah, this is a character who goes back to school as an adult. Well, this is it. I feel like a butterfly bursting from its chrysalisian, falling from the nest. Yeah, you need this education. And yeah. everyone yeah. mistakes her for dumb, and she's not dumb. No, not at all. Um, what else? I would describe the world of Kimmy Schmidt as full of cartoon characters. Definitely surreal. Yeah, or like exaggerated. Very, yeah, very exaggerated. It's almost like it's almost like a hyper reality in some ways. And someone brought up, I don't know why, Amy Sedaris. Yes, and she's in that show. So, um, as a crazy character. Hang on, let me pull up the the comment. Uh, David Testerman commented on our Facebook page saying, Amy Sedaris reminds me of Jim Varney a bit. She too is a rubber-faced, diverse comedian. Her character, Jerry Blank from Strangers with Candy, <laughs> is sort of a mature female Ernest in a way. Interesting. I need to watch much more Strangers with Candy to comment on that, but I do enjoy that show. Yeah. And yes, she is wonderful in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt as... I think Mimi Canassis. <laughs> I think she starts out as like a one-off. Yeah, she's and then, totally one-off, and then they're like, "Man, she's hilarious! Like, yeah. bring her back!" And she's like incredible. Like, her character's like totally makes. She's just crazy. Yes. Like what somebody says. I, Is there something I can look up? It was like a Snapple cap fact. One of the characters, um, Jacqueline, she says something like. My only education is Snapple caps. An ostrich can run thirty miles an hour. What? No help. <laughs> the phone rings and she says don't answer it it's an ostrich <laughs> the character is so strange and weird but it's it's what, so funny also compelling what no and wonderful help. <laughs> what? oh she's great but, but yeah. yeah that's an amazing show and i would never thought of kimmy i would have never thought of kimmy and I, I don't know why she is an earnest yeah that gender threw me i know and i mm. I, I love the idea that Ernest legacy like extends to yes. like Present day, essentially, because that, that show's it still comes on. with optimism. Because I honestly, it's one of my, it's I think one of Ernest's most valuable characteristics. Sure, it's like oh ha ha, you know, he says dumb things, you know, he uses Aaron a lot of malapropisms. 
you know, that makes people laugh when he gets confused. But but what what is a good thing in the world, I mm-hmm. think, is the positive energy that Ernest puts into it. And the idea of that carrying on yes. after him, that makes me very happy. Same. Yep. So yep. I'm really glad for characters like Kimmy Schmidt. Agreed. Agreed. Oh, well, that's awesome. Yeah. The end. <laughs> <laughs> or is it? Question mark. The end. Question mark. Three question marks. <laughs> Here's to more analogs to come. I'm sure there will still be. I think, again, Ernest was not birthed from a vacuum. No. But also, I think his influence will continue to be felt. We need Ernests. Um, yeah. We yeah, need we them. Do. Yeah. Whew. Well, this has been a wonderful journey. It sure has. <laughs> Well, let's. Um, I know we wanted to have like a little bit of a wrap up. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Let's so, in conclusion. Yeah. So, what what are some of the things that we can say about Ernest by way of his analogs? We've talked about you know dolls, notwithstanding. We've talked about what have we talked about? Well, what qualities of Ernest keep coming up when we compare him when he put him against other characters? I think optimism for sure. Optimism, sincerity, sincerity, uh, brilliance. Yep. And insecurity. Insecurity. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, treating everybody the same. Yeah. Uh, Kindness. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that's a more succinct way of, <laughs> of saying that. Yeah. I'm not sure if I can articulate this correctly because we are at like hour seven oh or whatever. Um, Always. And maybe this is more of a Jim Varney thing, but like not feeling or acting like you're above something. Yeah. And maybe that maybe that's kind of related to treating everybody the same, but that's it's something also- something I feel like I need to learn. It's also like- <laughs> To do, because I don't do that. Oh boy. Um, no, but like, just like- how do you even characterize it? Like love of one's fellow man or something? Just like be, keep, humility. Keep, yeah, yeah. There you go. Humility. Love it. Being on an, an even playing field with like everyone you interact mm-hmm. with, and not like I wouldn't say. Would you say Ernest is never judgmental? I feel like the it's fact it's really hard for me to think of any instance where he is judgmental, except maybe with Vern, and that's the negging of yes, Vern. yes, <laughs> which we've discussed yes in our first episode, and you go back and listen to that. I wouldn't say he. I wouldn't say, but as even a his judgment of Vern is not a judgment so much as trying to be on the same level of Vern because he thinks so highly of Vern, and also insecurity. And it, that's insecurity. Yeah, 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 yeah. But in in terms of the film universe, no, I can't really think of Ernest ever being judgmental. I'm sure he might have. The, but, fa- you know, the fact it's that we're a, struggling is yeah. is, is uh, I mean, says I'm, something. I'm sure he, from time to time, he might have called out a character's flaw. But it's not a prejudgment. He never prejudges. Or or like judgment followed by like dismissal. I think No, that, yeah. no, no. I think that's what a lot of people love about Ernest. Ernest doesn't write anybody off, is no, what I would say. No. Even characters that are outright mean to him. Yeah, or like he doesn't or don't deserve it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's all I got. <laughs> this was a wonderful Yeah. I sincerely enjoyed this discussion. I'm glad that we have made time to corral all of the, See, the it was analogs. a good idea. Yep, yep. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing more of the John Cena family. <laughs> the same. <laughs> I'm looking forward to people coming up with more Ernest analogs that carry on Ernest's positive attributes. Yes, yes. I'm sure. You know, I think the way that we celebrate Ernest here on a semi-regular basis, I think that is something that will always exist. I hope so. Well, I think it definitely informs the way you and I do our work. And so, like, yeah. that's that's continuing the legacy right there. Good. Yeah. Aw. And I hope some a lot of people, I, I hope, are, like, unconsciously following that legacy. Just yeah. they've been incepted by Ernest. Oh, sure. Yeah, no, I mean, those movies will always exist. That performance will always exist. Yeah. I guess one other thing I'll say is that 
I know we didn't get to everyone's input from like the Facebook page no, and stuff. No, I guess not. But if there's ones you think we missed that are really important, or if there's ones that you've thought of after the fact, definitely hit us up and maybe we'll cover some for the extra or something. I can't think of anyone right now, but I'm not the last word on any of this. No, and, and nothing is the last word. But yes. I'm, I'm glad that post-movies and post-TV shows that we are still finding ways to explore this character, even yeah. though we're not looking directly at one particular source. Well, we are. Again, this was like an insane undertaking just because well, we're looking at a million pieces of content. I'm glad that our disc- our analysis of Ernest is not impeded by having run out of movies. Correct. <laughs> I'm yes. glad for that. No, that is very true. I think in conclusion, I will say Ernest is great and great <laughs> parts of him live in others. Agreed. Well, that's Ernest Analogs. Where do we go from here? You know, my friend Elisa had this idea that Ernest and Steve Irwin could have been in a movie together. Okay. And it would be called Ernest Goes Down Under. Sure. And we should write that movie. (laughs) And it kind of writes itself. It does. Can you imagine them being together? Of course. For two actors who are sadly no longer with us, of course. Yeah, well, that's why we write it. Yeah. You know. I think, jumping off of that, maybe we should go into Unmade Ernests. Ah. The Ernest movies that that, didn't happen. Yes. Or that could have happened. And again, as I... I think that could help us further explore. As I reread Justin's book, there is a lot of that in there. Mm -hmm. And I was like... I'm just going to save that and put it in my pocket for later. So, yeah, let's do Hell, it. Like, all right, let's do it. Unmade Ernest. That will be our next subject. After the next extra. Still here. <laughs> Still kicking. Thank you all for your input and, as always, for listening. Yes, thank you for adding more meat to our discussion and being participant. Yeah. You will hear us next time. Until then. Take care, everybody. Viva la Viva la Varnia.